Uh, we looked at some of them last week, and now I'm gonna, we're going to look at them again this week. Uh, but just to give you a reminder of what we've seen so far, what's happening, um, Paul has finished his third trip around the Mediterranean Sea sharing the good news of Jesus, and he is on his way back to Jerusalem. He wants to be there uh, by the Jewish festival of Pentecost, but as he goes back, he stops uh, in the port of Miletus, and he calls for his friends, the elders from uh, the city of Ephesus at the church of Ephesus, because he wants to talk to them. He knows he won't see them again, uh, but he spent three years with them. And so he wants to remind them of what's important before he heads on. Uh, and uh, these words also remind us of, remind us of, of what's important. Um, this is the only speech in the book of Acts that is directed at Christians. This is the only sermon, and uh, if you want to call it that, the only words in Acts that, direct, that is directed solely at a, at a Christian audience. And it tells us a lot about Jesus-shaped leadership. So let's give our attention to God's word, Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 17. Now, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the good news of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves. And to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my needs and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, 
he knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. So what we saw last week, part one of this sermon, I guess, uh, series, part two, part one, uh, was we looked at the character of the shepherd. We looked at the heart of the Jesus-shaped leader. And what we saw is that the, the Jesus-shaped leader leads God's people with humility, with courage, and with love. And the reason that he does that is not because he's some kind of special breed, but simply because he's following Jesus. He's not anything unique. He's not anything um, miraculous in and of himself. The Jesus-shaped leader is what he is, is who he is, because of his Savior, Jesus. And we even saw Paul say, right, he, that he did not account his life of any value. He simply wanted to finish the race. He simply wanted to finish the ministry. His identity and his calling came from Jesus. And that's what enables a person to lead with humility and courage and love. To quote uh, professor and pastor Steve Brown, we're only beggars just telling other beggars where to find the bread. That's what a, that's what a Jesus-shaped leader is. He's not anything special in and of himself. He's just another beggar telling the other beggars where to find the bread. So as we talk about these things, I want you to hear this not as simply a charge to men who God may be calling to be an elder. But I want you to hear this as a charge to every leader who would point someone to Jesus. So dad, mom, business owner, manager, teacher, small group leader, older men. Leading younger men, older women, mentoring younger women, older students, leading younger students. I want you to hear this as a, as a charge to anyone who would be in the position of leading someone else. Lead by running to Jesus first, last, and always. And plead for his spirit to remake you from the inside out. That's, what, that's how I want you to hear that this morning. So last week we talked about the Jesus-shaped insides. Now let's talk about the Jesus-shaped outsides. What is it that this leader does? And what we see is that Jesus entrusts his sheep to shepherds who will do two things. Feed them and protect them. Feed them and protect them. So this leadership is twofold. It's feeding and protecting so let's talk about that feed part. What, is it, what do we mean by feeding? Well, look at how Paul describes how he lived, his way of life. In verse 20, he says he did not shrink. There's that courage piece. He did not draw back from declaring to you anything that was profitable. So declaring, announcing, telling, right? He he declares to them not what they want, but what they need, what is helpful to them. 
Now, how does a shepherd know what is helpful to, the, to his particular sheep? He has to know them. He has to be engaged. He has to be involved in their lives. The shepherd must know the sheep so that he can declare what is helpful. He also says in verse 20 that he was teaching both in public and house to house. Now, the teaching part, that's, that doesn't surprise us. But we see that Paul's ministry was both public and private. That he wasn't just a, a personality behind a pulpit, but he was actually a presence in people's lives. He was present, right, in coffee shops. He was present in, at restaurants and cafes. He was present in living rooms and dining rooms, right? Paul was both public and private teaching it says that he was, in verse 21, he testified, he bore witness by calling people to repent and believe. So Paul's ministry wasn't simply a, a, a lecture. He wasn't simply a teacher. But he called people to decision. He called people to action. He called people to respond to this message about Jesus. He called people to turn from sin and trust in Jesus he says he proclaimed the kingdom of God. And then again in verse 27, he says that he didn't shrink back from declaring to them God's whole counsel, God's whole plan, God's whole purpose. So what that tells us, what that means is that, that Paul didn't just stick with like a rote presentation of the basics, right? He didn't just give them the four spiritual laws of the ABCs. No, he took them deep in God's word. And I want to point out that at this point in time, that would have meant the Old Testament, right? The New Testament's in the process of being written. So the scriptures that Paul takes people to are the Old Testament, right? He declares the whole counsel of God. As John Stott says, he, he shared all possible truth with all possible people in all possible ways, and that, by the way, is why uh, we, we typically, when we do sermons, right, we go through whole books of the Bible. Because we don't want to preach hobby horses. Uh, we don't want to preach, you know, personal opinions. We want, to get our, we want to get the message from the text of Scripture. We want the sermons to come out of Scripture. And we know that if we go through whole books, then the, me the, the Bible is what, uh, is what we're conforming the message to. We're not... Um, we're not, we're not conforming the message to ourselves, but to God's word. So when you take all of those descriptions together, you take all those verbs together, what does feeding the sheep look like? It's word ministry. God's sheep are fed by God's truth. We're not fed on the opinions of men, but we are fed on God's truth, on the scriptures. Peter puts it this way uh, in his first letter, 1 Peter 2.2. He says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up in salvation. So, right, just as our bodies grow from eating nourishing food, so our spirits grow through eating the word, through digesting the word. That's how sheep are fed. How are they protected? What does that look like? Well, look at, uh, at verse 28. 
after Paul gives himself, uh, talks about his example, he then gives a charge to these elders as they're heading back to Ephesus to, to shepherd the flock there. And he says, pay careful attention to yourselves. Now, if you've ever flown on a plane, uh, you are familiar with the little safety speech that comes at the beginning. Uh, you may not pay attention to the stewardess as she gives this speech, but she's required by law to give it, Right. Um, and you have so you if you've heard that speech, you know that at some point in there, uh, she tells you that if the if the cabin loses air pressure, that oxygen mask will drop down from the ceiling, and that if you are traveling with small children, what are you to do with that oxygen mask? You are to secure your own mask first. Now, that sounds incredibly selfish, doesn't it? I mean, you got to, you know, this small child, they can't get the mask on. We need, to, we need to help them. So why would they tell you to secure your own mask first? Well, because you can't help your child if you've passed out, right? So you got to put your own mask on. You got to breathe deeply, and then you can be of help to those around you. Uh, when I was uh, uh, trained as a, a lifeguard, they taught us, thank, thank the Lord, I didn't have to do any ocean rescues, um, but uh, we had to be trained in it all the same. Uh, and they tell you that if you're, if you're in an ocean rescue uh, and you're being pushed by the waves toward a large object, so let's say you're under a pier and one of those huge pylons is coming out of the water. If you're rescuing someone and you're being pushed towards something that can incapacitate you, like a huge wooden pole, um, you know what you're to do? You are to turn the victim towards the pole, right? Now, that sounds, again, that sounds really selfish. But why would you do that? Well, you can't rescue them if you get knocked unconscious, right? In the same way, Paul tells these shepherds, pay close attention to yourselves. You cannot shepherd the flock if your own soul is being neglected. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. And then he says something else interesting. He says in verse 29, to be ready for some fierce wolves. Now, as Zach mentioned, and as you may know, if you've ever kept livestock, particularly sheep, they are not the sharpest tool in the shed. They have no natural defenses of their own. I guess except their teeth, which they use to bite usually those who shepherd them. Um, but they have, no, they have no natural defenses of their own and will often uh, – they're, they're also not very good at keeping themselves out of trouble. Usually they will wander right into trouble. But the greatest threat to a sheep is a wolf, a predator, because the sheep has no way to defend him or herself against the wolf. So a good shepherd must always be vigilant of the predators who would prey on their sheep. But I want you to notice something. Where is the greatest danger to God's flock? Look at verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves... So the greatest danger to the flock doesn't come from the culture. It doesn't come from the government. 
the greatest danger to the flock comes from those men who would be shepherds and yet twist the truth and lead the disciples of Jesus away after themselves. The greatest danger to God's sheep are those wolves dressed in sheep's clothing, as Jesus says. It's those who from within, right, the very people who are entrusted to care for the flock are the ones who will rise up and start speaking twisted things. That means they, they take the truth and they, and they tweak it, right? They may still use the name of Jesus because, after all, um, nobody believes a bold-faced lie, right? But what makes lies believable is they, have, is they have just enough truth to make it palatable. And so these false shepherds, uh, these thieves who come in to steal and kill and destroy, they, they take the truth and they twist it. So... What's the remedy? How are the sheep protected? Well, in short, we're protected the same way that we're fed. The word of God. Look at where Paul points them in verse 32 after giving them that stern warning and after telling them to be alert. He says, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. How does God build up the shepherds and the church? How do these shepherds feed and protect Jesus' sheep? Dad, mom, what's the best way to raise your children, husbands, wives, how do you best love and serve each other? Students, how do you navigate the rough road ahead? Verse 32, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. What is the word of his grace? It's the gospel. It's the good news about Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, his reigning. Christians are not just born by believing the good news. We are strengthened by returning again and again and again to that good news. Now, here's what that means. Let me give you just a, because that sounds really abstract. Let me see if I can make it concrete. There are two, two negative examples that uh, I, I heard just this past week. Uh, the first was a, a, a sermon, if you can call it that, directed to ladies. Now, in, in full disclosure, I didn't actually listen to the whole thing, uh, so maybe this guy came around in the end, but at least at the beginning, he, he, he told the women in his audience that the best way for them to keep their husbands from looking at other women was to get in shape. Now listen, I'm a big fan of exercise, I'm a big fan of, of of eating right, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm pro-physical health. But ladies, there's no gospel. There, well, actually, there's so much wrong with that. Um, but let's, let's, just go, let's just go down to the very bottom. That's no gospel. There's no good news there. You can be as fit as you want. It will not fix your sin problem. You can eat as right as you want. It will not fix your sin problem, nor will it fix your husband's sin problem. 
Jesus alone does that. Now, fellas, similarly, uh, just, a, just a day after I heard that sermon, um, I saw a Facebook ad directed at Christian business owners. And uh, between clips of men talking about how much they'd grown in their relationship with God and with their wives and their children were, were clips of what looks like Navy SEAL-type training, guys doing like sit-ups in, in the waves, being sprayed in the face with a water hose. I don't really know um, what – again, I'm pro-discipline. Discipline can be a very, very helpful and good thing, right? You, you may need to be sprayed in the face with a cold water hose. And if that's what you're looking for, please come to my house this afternoon. I would delight to spray you in the face with a water hose, all right? But discipline will not fix you deep down. Only Jesus does that. Only Jesus transforms us from the inside out. You see, the problem with these two Gospels is that they're... They're just self-help. There are no gospels at all. There's no good news there. They're just self-help masquerading as gospel. And what that means is the problem, the reason those are not gospel is because they turn you into the Savior. That you can fix your own problems if you just try hard enough. But that's not what Paul is telling these leaders. And it's not what they are to go back and tell the church. He finishes by pointing them to Jesus. We do not need to be the Savior. Some guru does not need to be your Savior. Friend, Jesus is the only Savior that you need, and he is the only Savior that will do you any good. So this morning, I want to invite you. Again, if you're, if you're already a Jesus follower then I want you to hear Paul's words to leaders, one, as, as something you can pray for. God, would you raise up men like this to be elders and shepherds in your church? But two, God has put, placed you in some position of leadership or will. As I said at the beginning, run hard after Jesus. Your, your goal is to not draw away people and point them to yourself. It is to point people to Jesus. You are a beggar just telling other beggars where to find the bread. But friend, if, if this morning you have not believed in Jesus, if you've never trusted in Jesus, I want to invite you to do that. Stop looking at yourself in the mirror. Stop looking for people to spray you in the face with cold water or do sit-ups in the middle of the ocean. Right? It won't save you. Jesus will. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you for the grace that saves, for the grace that sanctifies and makes new, for the grace that leads us to lead others. Holy Spirit, would you pour that grace out on each and every person in this room and each and every person listening to the sound of my voice. I pray that we would see our deep, deep need of Jesus. And we pray all of this in his name. Amen. Let's stand uh, and give thanks to God by singing the doxology. If you're giving this morning, you can do so online or there's an um, offering plate out in the gathering area. Let's sing together. Praise God from whom all blessings.
blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Receive God's blessing from Hebrews chapter 13. And now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.